Welcome to The Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combined trad values and an indie spirit. Hello. Hello, and welcome again to the Hopcast. It is show number 63. <laughs> 63, it is. And we're out and about. We're uh, getting ourselves ready for the London Book Fair, which we're travelling down to London to uh, engage in tomorrow. Yes. So uh, we are recording a day earlier than we normally do. So it's Saturday afternoon. We're in the uh, town of Newport in Shropshire, <laughs> not very far from where we are, where we live and where Hobeck Towers is based. And... We ought to introduce ourselves. We ought to, yes. I'm Agent Hobart. You are, and I'm Rebecca Collins. You are. And together we run... Hobeck Books. Yeah. UK independent publishers of the, the following, following genres. genres. Oh, I love it when we do it in unison. <laughs> Crime. Thrillers. Mystery. And suspense. And the mystery is, is why the milk you've just had delivered for your Americano was in a sort of small sort of milk churn. <laughs> Uh, which then proceeded to pour itself all over the desk. Well, it looks to me like one of those Stoke-on-Trent kilns. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's very true. Well, it's very appropriate because it's only about 15 miles from where we are now. So, yeah, uh, that's right. We're and yeah, so and I, when I tried to pour it, first of all, nothing came out because the, the, the sort of bubbly bit, the tension of the bubbly bit was strong enough to keep the milk in. You're right. Well, we've got some fans already. Oh, really? Yeah. Two people sort of <laughs> taking very close interest in what we were doing as they walked past. Uh, maybe think, they think we're famous. Well, maybe we are. Well, we're um, not. <laughs> we, but, but we are. <laughs> anyway, welcome to the show. And uh, we are absolutely delighted to have this week as our guest, Guy Gardner is joining us from his home in Dorset, who's a musician and he is also a musician. an author so it, it was great fun actually we, we talked about all things cultural it, it really ranged yeah we got quite deep into uh, historic writing and um, yeah the challenges sort of, of writing the uh, challenges yeah, yeah many different levels his book uh, the mirror game uh, was is based around 1920 in the early 20s and so clearly took a lot of uh, a lot of research as well and uh, we also talked about the influence that being a musician has on the way that you write your prose which um, is something I've always felt that um, if you have a musical bent then you can you can create that rhythm to your writing but not only that is what interests me was the fact he said he, could, he didn't see any difference in writing music and writing words he said he, to him it was the same exactly the same same sort of mental space yeah. that he, he inhabits so that's Guy Gardner joining us later now Normally we do a lot of news uh, at this stage, but I think really the news is going to be coming out of our special shows, which we're doing all of the time next week. So London Book Fair runs Tuesday to Thursday. We're going to do a daily podcast from the show, picking up interviews with uh, anyone we meet, really. Anyone and anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, could, no. It could be... We've got some thoughts on how we will theme this, but <laughs> uh, basically we want to give you a flavour of what's going on, what the... 
um, not just the vibe, which is such a loose word. Oh, I word. hate that. Yeah. The vibe. The atmosphere. Well, of course we'll bring you that. But what we really want to do is, what is the talking point? What are, what are people talking about at London Book Fair, both in the indie community, which we're part of, but in the traditional community as well? Yeah, everything, yeah. basically. From all, uh, all aspects, anything. And just how we are feeling while we're there as well, because we haven't been there for three years. It's three years. No, more than that for the London Book Fair, isn't it? Uh, I think it was three years ago. We went to the self-publishing one three years ago. Yes, and that got yes. Well, whenever COVID struck, we were due to go to London Book Fair and it got cancelled. Yes. So yes, you're right. Um, so it's quite anyway. a while. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it is quite a while, but it's such an overwhelmingly huge event. There are thousands upon thousands of people crammed into Olympia, um, fighting over the orange juice and coffee stands. Um, very, very, you know, for for that sort of event, if you don't bring your own chair, you're a bit stuck. That's another issue. Well, so, I'm a floor person, so I'm fine. Yeah, you're all right, but I can't get back up off the floor <laughs> when I, once I'm down there. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll bring you the flavour of it. And uh, we hope, well, while we're there, we're going to be doing a lot of work as well towards Hobeck. And our main aim really is to establish the relationships that we need to sell the rights to our books around the world, both in TV terms, radio, t- um, film terms, and, of course, foreign language rights. Now, I mean... We are going to a special conference on Monday to uh, to get further information about that rights situation. Um, but that's our aspiration, and, and let's hope that after three days of uh, working the floors and introducing ourselves to the right sort of people, something will come of it. Yeah. There are no guarantees, but at least we'll know a lot more by the end of the week than we do now. Absolutely, and we'll probably be asleep too. Oh, he will be so <laughs> exhausted. Uh, it's our first trip to London since lockdown, and uh, well, actually, you've been. I've been, been briefly. I? Because yeah. I went up the the Shard. Is that what it's called? Yeah, you had breakfast on the Shard. Yeah, so I've been once since. Um, yeah, but it's. Uh, I would. I've been quite excited about the prospect of going book shopping. <laughs> but, so we're actually going down tomorrow, Sunday, as yes. we record. And the reason we're going down tomorrow is because we're going to a Francis Bacon. Yes. Exhibition. Yes, at the Royal Academy. It's the Royal Academy, In yeah. Piccadilly. And, um, you yeah, know, this is something you've... I mean, I sort of surprised you with it, really. It was a sort of gift uh, for you. It was Valentine's Day, wasn't it? Yeah. And we both completely forgot about it until yeah, yesterday. Yeah, got an email saying, I'm looking forward to your visit. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's a good thing we didn't book anything else for Sunday afternoon. So it'll be an early start for us to get down to the Francis Bacon. Then uh, we're staying in Shepherd's Bush, which is quite close to Olympia. And uh, here comes our lunch. Thank you very much indeed chicken avocado for me and you've got a sort of toasted roll lovely thank you very much oh it smells good so that's the big news <laughs> but um you know the bookseller is just full of swooping uh swooping sweeping whipping uh preempting preempting is a good one isn't it yeah so lots of people have been preempted this week yes. and of course at the london book fair there'll be more preempting preempting swooping and sweeping there are a lot of talks as well i mean it, it, you know it's tempting to you could spend your entire time just moving between auditoria and listening to talks i mean we'll no doubt listen to some but um i think the the the, the best work can be done on our feet introducing ourselves to as many people as possible We've, there will be some familiar faces there we know as one or two of the Hobeck authors are going to be there um, we're also got you know old old associates that we're no doubt going to bump into that we've worked with and indeed some of our suppliers are going to be there so we're going to have an interesting conversation we've got time book with Clays who yeah. do some of our print work uh, just to see you know 
whether I mean what we'd like from them more than anything because we think they're a fantastic service they really are but what we'd really like is to be able to check our stock levels without having to email them to find out yeah so that's, that's they, the only drawback of using clays yeah so they need what they need is a portal where publishers like ourselves can know where we are with our stock levels for each title and therefore we can order in plenty of time as opposed to sort of crash ordering um, the other thing is of course at the moment the price of paper and everything else we've talked about it umpteen times in recent weeks is shooting up so the cost of each print run is creeping up um, at, at, you know, so you know now we're having to take bolder decisions about print runs uh, one thing we wanted to mention before we get into our interview um, is we launched a competition this week Yes, we did. Well, we. And more, more Brian Price than us. But, yes, um, we, we're taking part in, <laughs> us, in association with Brian Price, yes. a competition. I'm going to get a tomato while you, you explain what it's all about. Okay, so Brian's uh, second book uh, is publishing on April the 12th called Fatal Hate. And within the pages of Fatal Hate, he's hidden some Easter eggs. What are Easter eggs? Well, the first time Brian told me this was his plan, I did think that. I thought... What does he mean by Easter eggs? Obviously, I know what an Easter egg is. It's a, a chocolate object eaten in <laughs> this time of year, and it's sort of oval-shaped, but not these sort of Easter eggs. So Easter eggs are cultural references or clues that are hidden in text, apparently. Okay, and how many are there people looking for in this new book? Now, you asked me that, and I can't remember off the top of my head. 30. I'll tell you the answer. It's 30. <laughs> See, I'm already ahead. I should win the, the prize. What is yeah. the prize? The prize is a box of chocolates um, from a very special chocolatier made by a very special chocolatier in Western Supermare and the chocolates have got names like um, I'm trying to remember like cyanide cream things like that <laughs> yeah so they're death murder related yeah they're murder related chocolates although they're, they're, they won't kill you these are bespoke chocolates that have been specially designed and they come in a, in a special display box it's a pretty special thing. It's, it's unique. Book. It really yeah. is because we'll there's no other... We'll probably throw in a Hobeck mug to top it off. And also they get a signed copy of Brian's next book. The third book in the in the series. So it's wonderful. It's a great little prize, isn't it? And well, it... since you announced it on email uh, earlier this week, we've had a 700% increase in pre-orders. Really? Yeah. Blimey. For Fatal Hate. So um, for Brian goes and books his cruise... <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you probably remember... buy a Lego cruise boat. Yeah, no, it, it, it's been impressive. But uh, please take a take a look at now. Where can they find out the details of this competition? So there's a page on the Hobet website. Um, if you if you uh, look for the tab that says competition, and click on that, and then all the details and the rules of the competition are listed there. Brilliant, wonderful. Uh, listen, before we finish the plugging for today. Uh, I've got something else that I want to plug. Now, many of you will know that we have an audiobook arm and we have produced uh, 11 audiobooks so far which are on our uh, special website, Authors Direct website, which you can go through our hobeck.net website, find the audiobook page and there are discounts on all of our Hobeck audiobooks to date. But to give you a sample of what we're talking about, here we go. Enter a world of great stories from Hobeck audiobooks from authors including Mark Whiteman, Linda Huber, Malcolm Hollingdrake, Essie Shepherd, Ollie Jarvis, A.B. Morgan and Robert Dawes. Tamara Sullivan once more gave up on the book in her hand. She leaned back in her seat, closed her eyes and prayed that the two and a half hour flight would bring less turbulence 
that the last few months of her life had managed to generate. Lottie's hands fought their way back to his hair. With a yank, she almost removed an entire clump. Stop the bloody car now, DC Bradshaw. That's an order. I squeezed the steering wheel to stop my hands shaking and leaned forward to give myself the clearest view of the road. Last week, I was looking forward to a holiday. Last week, I had a future. She dreaded the answer to her next question. But why me? You must be aware that I haven't accepted any work for three years. You'd never request someone who'd been out of the game for so long. Unless... She stopped. Unless I had some special skill. Daria leaned over to kiss Evie's damp little forehead, then jerked back in horror as a long, deep horn blared and headlights from an approaching lorry swept through the cab. A single, sickening scream left Daria's soul as Evie's rucksack scratched across her face. Betancourt waved a languid hand. Later, he pulled away the cover. Working like a camera, his detective's eyes took in everything. The woman was young, probably early 20s. Prissy. Hobeck Audiobooks. We know the power of great storytelling. Oh, who has that butch voice at the end? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I'd like to meet him. <laughs> so, Hobeck Audiobooks, and we've just added uh, Silenced to that list, now available on Audible. It's not Silenced, I beg your pardon. Swindled. Swindled, I yes. keep making that mistake. Anyway. It's funny, I didn't even notice that, but yeah. Swindled. <laughs> Swindled, uh, narrated by A.B. Morgan and written by S.E. Shepard. I have to tell you that um, I said to um, one of the uh, giveaway tokens yesterday, she wanted to listen to it, and she sent me a message this morning saying, I know I know this book off by heart, but I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no better tribute than that if it's your own book. But uh, no, it's a great performance from uh, Ali, uh, and uh, we're very proud to add that to our catalogue. There are more to come, of course. So, uh, Taster, we'll be playing that a few times, I think, over the next few weeks. <laughs> Not just my, the fruit of my labours yesterday. Anyway, uh, we ought to get into our interview now. We should do, yes. So, uh, just to explain to us how we came across Guy Gardner, our guest this week. Um, so, we had a cancellation, didn't we, on the podcast? We did. And I've done this a few times now, where we have a cancellation, and I put it out on Twitter, eek, please somebody help, and um, Guy responded he was the first to respond so i said yep you're in fantastic well it was fun and uh, guy as he explains has had a very career before settling on his passion for writing as well as musicianship brilliant and, pianist and he lives by the sea mm -hmm. pretty close so we're pretty jealous let's speak to guy gardner guy gardner thank you so much for joining us on the hopcast book show lovely no it's a pleasure to be here thanks for having me and uh, we've just been very jealous because we were talking before the, the, the interview started and uh, you're saying, we were saying, where are you? And you're in Dorset and you're not far from the beach. And again, this is the second week running. We've had somebody who's very close to the coast. <gasps> That's true. Gutting. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's lovely. Yeah, no, we, um, we love going down to the beach. The kids love it. Um, they're obsessed with throwing pebbles in the sea. Um, they'll do that. Do you skim stones? Because my, my boys love skimming or trying to skim. Yeah, well, you know, I try. You know, obviously it's a dad thing. You, you <laughs> want to be able to skim. 
Um, but most of the time they just go under. Very <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it's one of my you know my I think the record my first number one son uh, managed about six. I've done seven. Yeah, I have to say I've done seven. So, I can't believe we're already on skimming stones well, and randomness. You see, uh, me and my brother, my brother and I used to be very competitive with skimming stones, so we're both quite good at it. Yeah, I've passed it down to my three children, so they they love doing it. They haven't quite got to seven yet, but they do love it. Oh, absolutely <laughs> right. Well, it's time to get get into the meat of the, yes. of the interview. We should talk about so, books, really. <laughs> <laughs> so, thank you for joining us. Now, uh, let's let's talk about your literary career to date. And uh, your most recent book was The Mirror Game, um, which is a crime novel. It's a historical crime novel set in 1920. If I'm correct yeah. i think it it sounds fascinating but when i looked at the, the blurb and i was kept reading it as my name adrian hobart rather than adrian harcourt i couldn't help it my eye just skipped into what am i doing in 1920 as a politician and, a, time and a missing man from the, from the first world war but um tell us about that okay well yeah the story basically um revolves around a chap that he disappears in the war um under slightly strange circumstances um it's kind of covered over um, and the world moves on, you know, it's sort of forgotten about. And um, he appears some sort of seven years after the war's ended, uh, quite inexplicably, that's good, but inexplicably, there you go, I managed it, um, <laughs> in this cafe and, he, and no, no one can really figure out, he's just sort of seen once. Um, and no one can figure out if it's actually, if it's him, you know, what, what's, what's sort of going on, where has he sort of been for all this time? Um, and things sort of go from there. And my, my main character is sort of asked to investigate, and um, he goes down a bit of a sort of rabbit hole, really, um, chasing this character um, all around London and um, Dartmoor, there's a bit of Dartmoor as well. Um, yeah, and um, it was just great fun writing it. You know, I, I loved sort of the minutes of it. How long was, I mean, is that your first novel? Um... Uh, yeah, it, it's, I, I've been writing, I was looking to ask this, um, I've been writing for a long time. Um, I guess, you know, like, like a lot of people do, you know, you sort of try and write. And, um, and actually I had, I finished this novel, um, sort of like a couple of years ago and it was completely different and I didn't like it <laughs> I sort of finished the whole thing uh, and I thought it's just sort of something sort of not happening so I basically deleted the whole thing um, and I started again with just the characters that I liked and the setting which I really liked um, so it's the first novel I've actually um, sort of completed um, <laughs> sort of started and finished you know um, but, it, but it went through, yes, it went through one complete delete and then about half a delete again. You know, <laughs> finally, I sort of um, knocked it into shape. And how have you found that, that experience of actually getting a book out into the world? Has it, fulfilled, has it been as fulfilling as you hoped or what's your, your sense of, uh, of achievement? Yeah, it, no, it has. I mean, it was wonderful because you... You know, the first bit, obviously, you're on your own. You know, you're on your own with the characters, sort of day in, day out, whatever you can write. Uh, and that's great. Um, and whatever sort of happens when you're writing, you, you've always got that. You know, no one can sort of take that away. But then there comes that point you've finished everything. And, um, yeah, you've got to try and get it out of the world somehow. Um, and, and that was, I mean, I had the sort of usual, you know, rejections. like mm -hmm. Um 
and, and that's tough. You know, we could talk about that. <laughs> uh, but um, I, I actually, um, I, I loved it. You know, I got the, the book guild who published it were, were great and you know, took it on. Um, and I found the whole process really enjoyable, actually. Um, and uh, the artwork is great because you sort of have the manuscripts and everything. Uh, and then that moment when I saw the first sort of artwork, mm. like, now, you know, it's actually now it's actually a book. You know, it's not this like massive wadge of uh, A4 paper anymore. <laughs> it becomes um, tangible, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, and um, it's been out. We did um, a blog tour and I got some sort of really good comments on that. And uh, I, I loved every minute of it. Yeah, I did a sort of book signing in my um, local waterstones. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a real sort of sense of achievement. You know, you really sort of feel like that, that works sort of paid off, you know. Um, and I, I love the whole process, you know, start to finish. So did you set off to write a novel in the past? How did that come about, that you wrote a historic novel? Uh, yeah, well, well, weirdly, I never thought I would. Um, I sort of read, like, like when I was a kid, I read loads of fantasy. That, that was sort of what I was mm. into. Um, like, like Sword and Sorcerer, that was sort of my thing. And I always thought if ever I write, that, that you know, I'm, I'm going to do that, you know. Sure. And then it never, sure. it never worked out. <laughs> I never did that. Um, but there was something about this sort of time... Because I don't, I don't sort of see myself as like a historical novelist, you know. I, I just like settings, um, and s- certain settings sort of really appealed, and, and that sort of post-war kind of London um, just really sort of appealed to me somehow. Um, and so I went with that, you know, and, and, and the kind of characters and sort sort of came, you know, from that. I, I really like setting. It's one of the things if I get a setting. Um, I feel like I've got something I can go somewhere with it, you know, almost mm. before character. Enough, actually. Um, I find that, you know, it sort of presents ideas if that kind of makes sense. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, and I like that. I like the, um, again, I didn't think I'd write crime, I didn't set out to write it. Um, it just naturally, as it got underway, I'm a terrible non-planner, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're looking at the world of non-planning here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I didn't, I, I abandoned, I tried to plan it out and I realised, you know, absolutely cast iron that I don't plan things um, and I just went with the characters, you know, and I know that there's, you know, some people, you know, see, characters aren't real, guy, you do know that, but they sort of are when you write they are. it. They're so real. Yeah, the good ones are. I don't think that's true at all, is it? And a lot of our the authors who um, publish with us, they say the same thing. They say yeah. that their characters talk to them in the middle of the night and they tell them what the story's going to, what's going to happen in the story. Yeah, I, I think if, you, if you're not getting that message in that sort of, you know, channeling the, the voice of your characters and their behavior and everything, they're telling you what, where it's going to go. Then it's yeah. it's you, you've done it wrong because there are lots of books out there that describe how to create a character, give them a couple of flaws and all that sort of thing. And <laughs> like a couple a of idi- box thing. Yeah, knock off a couple of idiosyncrasies. Um, you know, have to have a limp or, or something. Or, well, no, even worse than that. I mean, I don't. You know, given you're not a planner, then I I, I imagine you didn't do this. But some people write forty page treatments of how each yeah. character works and what they did, you know, when they were three years old, that informs them at 43. So. Yeah. Uh, how have you got time to do that though? If you're in... 
But it seems like a lot of wasted energy. Energy, unless, of course, you're writing. If you were writing fantasy, which you know you might have gone down that route for this first yeah. novel, um, then perhaps it makes sense to do that because you know you're going to be uh, page eight hundred. You might you might have said something yeah. in page one that you don't say in page eight hundred, but. but- well, I suppose my question would be, why would you have to write that down? If you know your character, you know what happened to them when they were three. And No, well, I don't think you know your character. I think the character tells you who they are. I think that's what... Well, yes, but why do you need to write it down in a 40-page document? No, well, quite. No, <laughs> I think we're all in agreement yeah. on that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I tried that. I, I've sort of done all that stuff. And, um, it, yeah, for me, it doesn't work. And, and yeah, I don't know, you know, so what, what would the character look like to you in a bar? You know, what would they look... And I just, I just can't do that. It's mm. like I think they have to have the, the only prerequisite. They have to have something that challenges them so much that it changes their life, and they can't get back to the way their life was before. They have to deal with it. And, and I mean, Stephen King calls it a "what if," you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think if you have that, actually, it's it's really easy. It's you know, it, it all happens and if you just have faith um i felt like i was sitting back taking notes i wanted to sit back uh, they're doing this this has happened uh I, I don't need to get involved i don't need to pop up and, and make them do things you know? they're yeah. just doing it anyway no that's yeah. i think that, that's very fair i think i think what you say is, is right i mean i've said to one or two of our authors you know look i, I must admit you've you got some great characters here but you're not putting them in enough jeopardy there's not enough yeah. You know, there's not enough at stake here to yeah. either justify what you've got them doing or to really stretch them, you know, hurt them, you know, yeah. put them put them through. I mean, it, you look at a, a, a great American serial drama. Um, I'm, I'm not going to name one in particular, but they all have that aspect where you just wonder how they're going to get out of where they are. Yeah. You know, and that keeps you watching. And the same yeah. reading. Are you talking about that thing you made me watch that I really liked and I can't remember the name of? The family, the rich family. Oh, uh, we're talking about Succession. Yeah, Succession. Yeah. Everybody right. was totally flawed in that, weren't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it, but um, I get the uh, yeah, I get the point. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's definitely about that, that challenge. That, well, it's not a challenge, it's a pretty wrong word. It's, it's just something... Uh, yeah, pretty pretty horrendous. <laughs> you know <laughs> that uh, the, they've got they, they sacrifice everything. It's it's no good if it's like a moderate <laughs> challenge that <laughs> might be okay if they don't get it. You know, it could probably be all right. No one wants to read that, do they? No, yeah. like they run out of petrol on the way to the shop. What are they going to do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, dun dun dun. <laughs> Tune in next week. You know, yeah, it's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, in terms of. One of the challenges, and I'm writing a historical um, mystery um, set in the 1940. And I mean, the challenge there is I I write it as if I know we we, we were listening to Mick Heron, who was um, at one of our one of the festivals we went to. And he was saying uh, that, that, you know, people ask him how he knows so much about the way that MI5 works. And he says, I don't. I just make it up. And then I hope it's (laughs) it's credible. Uh, but with historical, there's always going to be dozens of people out there going, well, well, they didn't have that. That brand wasn't available then or whatever it is. So I'm always worried that whatever I include in there is going to be debunked by an eagle-eyed historical reader. Uh, does that worry you when you're building you know, the world around um, uh, in, in the mirror game? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, it, it did worry me, and it, it still worries me now. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> going to go, well, that, that, that didn't happen, you know. Yeah. Um, I suppose that, that's why I always say I'm, I'm not historical writing, you know, I suppose I'm sort of trying to give myself a get-up. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a good idea. I, 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 sort of, I mean, I do worry, and, and in fact, I mean, this is a, maybe not a good thing to admit, but I, because I have to write stories sort of first and characters, I sort of make stuff up. Anyway, you know, and, of course, and the, the world, you know, it's not actually the, it's, it's the world that you're building that the reader is going to sort of hopefully see and get. Um, so I think, well, if I'm trying to sort of write in one hand, I've got a history book, all right, 19, oh no, 1923, right? That, that, that's not going to make for, you know, interesting reading. So I sort of do make stuff up and then I kind of go back to it afterwards and um, try and sort of verify it, not just with Wikipedia, you know. No, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's a worry. I mean, I think as long as you do a bit of read, I, I sort of read around it and I, I spoke to um, somebody who knew a lot about being a private detective, actually. He was a private detective and he understood a lot about that time. So I, I did that. Um, but it was in lockdown. So I was a bit sort of limited with mm. getting out. I'd love to sort of go up to London and, you know, but we couldn't, you know. So, um, yeah. Um, but I also find, I don't know how you sort of feel about it, but if you have like one or two, you don't have to build it from scratch. No. If you have one or two telling details, mm-hmm. the reader builds it. You know, they're perfectly capable of Absolutely. That. that is very true. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I mean, I, I, for instance, I mean, I was looking, one of the, the things about the setting I've got, which is all the action happens around the streets that surround Hyde Park. So, you know, Mayfair features and South Kensington and uh, Bayswater are the sort of three key sort of areas where people either live or they work. And we're talking about 1940. And at that stage, they were just putting up uh, anti-aircraft guns across the lawns that would now host, you know, the, the, you know, the Rolling Stones in the summer or something like that. (laughs) We're talking about that was covered in in uh, ACAC guns or they were going up at the time. Then then they decided that that everything else, the flower beds had to be turned over to vegetables. And then the police, the parks police kept pigs and things like this. And I'm sort of adding in those little details as I find them out, yeah. um, which, which, which is fun. But at the same time, I don't want to make, sh- I want to make sure that, you know, the guns, uh, you know, had gone in around that period and not six months earlier. Cause that would, yeah. you know, that that's the sort of thing that, that kills. But what was interesting, I, I was really obsessed with the food. Uh, of this era and actually it turns out there wasn't any i mean i was assuming they're all going to be rationed and you know they could go to the dorchester but they'd have to have jugged hair or something um they didn't at that stage because um rationing hadn't come in Uh, so you know uh, know, there wasn't that to work against same with clothing you could go and get yourself a nice cocktail dress uh for one of the characters um if you had the money so it's 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 an interesting uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but essentially my research keeps debunking the some of the issues I thought my characters were facing. But this is interesting, isn't it? Because you might, if you if you were historically very accurate, you might get somebody reading it and say, well, that can't be true, can it? Because they couldn't have been wearing posh cocktail dresses and eating caviar <laughs> yeah. in 1940. Yeah, yeah. And then you have to say, actually, you know. Well, I can't, I, I'm in contact with the Dorchester's historian. They've got one. And, and, and it turns out that you could pretty much, if you could afford it, they had black market supplies of things going in. So you can always yeah. get champagne if you have the money. 
yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. No, it's it, it's an interesting. I mean, picking that that period, then trying to get the dialogue right is another challenge, isn't it? Um, yeah. In terms of how you, you know, I mean, I, I if I were in your shoes, I suppose I'd go to the a plays of R.C. Sheriff or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, did you did you do any of that to sort of try and get that sort of period feel right? Yeah, I, I did. I mean, again, I think because obviously you've got to be careful, haven't you? If you too accurately describe the way people have been talking, it can kill. So obviously, say, for example, if you went further back in history, the way people spoke was probably so alien to the way we do now. But if you read it in a book, it would be a real mm. weight, you know, and there are some books that you sort of feel that a bit. It's like like Hamlet. Hamlet by... Well, it's interesting because I, I, when I've been with my narration hat on, I keep getting approached to do Regency romances, which Americans yeah. write, and it is... <laughs> it's just appalling how bad some of the uh, the courtly dialogue they, they employ yeah. for the, you know, for the, you know, inspired by Bridgerton or whatever, but it's just awful frankly so yeah, yeah. It, it can be it can be difficult but you know you wouldn't have a character saying dude in 1920 would you say you've got you've got to get the balance haven't you you've got to get the yeah. feel and the sense of the era but like you yeah. say you yeah. know it's still got to be readable and relatable yeah that's it i mean i found i, I must say i didn't sort of extensively research it but i just sort of found again you know, it's just taking out some of those things that we use now, like I just said, now, you know, you know, yeah. <laughs> that, that people didn't, that they sort of were, were a little bit more, um, I don't know, what can you say, like, like meaningful in what they said. And, and obviously there was sort of expressions people use, like old boy and old chap, you know, and I had to be a bit careful with that, because obviously you could then litter it with that, that, that would sort of become annoying. But I think the same thing, if you can get a couple of things in that are right for the time, yeah, um, it, it can go a long way. And, and like you say, you know, you just have to use that sort of common sense of it. And um, I, I looked at, I mean, and obviously you can watch, you know, well-made films of, you know, about the period as well and get something from that, you know. Although I think you've got to be careful with movies to, to be too inspired by them because it is a different, thing you know but um so i just tried to i just tried to imagine you know more than anything else and sort of hoped i got it reasonably right you know um, absolutely i mean one of the interesting conundrums i found is that when you're dealing with dialogue there it, it, there was a formality in the sense that you know the, the class system um, yeah. was entrenched in how people addressed it so anyone uh, you know dealing with my main character unless they're sort of a uh, outrank him because he's reasonably posh they're always going to call him sir and so every yeah. every, every sentence that his manservant you know says finishes with comma sir which yeah. <laughs> which gets a bit wearing after a bit yeah. but I, but i feel that i couldn't take it out because it, it genuinely his his you know batman or butler or whatever you want to call him would would genuinely have to say sir at the end of every yeah. sentence yeah 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 <laughs> You've got to have stuff like that, haven't you? Because you, you know, you have to have the reader has to. There can't be anything that jars that they, you know, that, that takes them back a bit. You know, you want them to be totally immersed in that world. Like, like you know, when, when we write, we are, aren't we? You know, we're totally immersed. We're there. Um, so, so anything 
yeah, you don't want anything to stand. That's like a little sort of grain of sand, isn't it, rubbing away? That's mm. Mm. Yeah. Like all that stuff. You know, it's got to be smooth, you know, <laughs> um, so that the reader doesn't sort of notice it. Yeah. But, but one of the, I mean, going back to the, the, you know, building that world, one of the things I found out about, actually later, it wasn't, it was in the, like the later draft of the book, I'm really glad I did find it, was that they used to make lighters out of the, um, the shells of the mm. rifle. So I didn't know that, I sort of found it out somewhere. Um, and I love that. So the main character has one of these lighters. And, and, and to me, that, that that put me really, when I was going through it again, that that, that little detail, that got me there, you know, mm. as, as a writer. It's like, that was great. And, and he uses it as a bit of a sort of reminder of war. And, um, you know, obviously, it's, it's, as you know, you know, the First World War was horrendous, you know, compared to the Second World War even. Um, and so he uses that as a reminder as well. Who sort of has it on him? And there's little things like that that I think really help both you as a writer and the reader, you know, sort of connect with it. Absolutely, it makes them very relatable. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, my, my grandparents from that are from that were from that era. So my uh, my grandfather Walter, he just missed out having to serve. He was actually called up to the Royal Flying Corps. But he was right. he he turned eighteen in nineteen eighteen, so yeah. uh, he was doing all the exercise, getting ready to go. Uh, he was a farmer, so he wasn't required to go, um, and and didn't actually get involved. But his, I mean, I just remember the sort of collections of objects that they had. A lot of them from that period, they used to have um, <laughs> brass shell casings from a you know five pounder gun. Um, as decorations yeah you know you look at the base and you think hang on a second that's that's where you know the the striking point of of a, of a shell this is a yeah. shell casing it's bizarre yeah i mean it is extraordinary isn't it um you know how matter of fact they were after the war and, and turning these resources back into something decorative it's really weird yeah. i mean i wonder if that was necessary because if you know before the first world wars there hadn't been a world war and I think there was this sort of, that was something I did do a lot of reading about, actually. Mm. There was a slight assumption, you know, from the sort of Victorian period that humanity would march on towards greater and greater things, um, achieve, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then obviously there's a massive war. Um, and, yeah, how to sort of deal with that, because it was a complete change. And then after that, before the Second World War, uh, there's this thing, you know, a lot of people believe that that we would sink into this horrendous medieval barbaric sort of time again, you know, because no one knew the effect it, it would have on people. They thought that soldiers from the war uh, would change. It would change people that came back because they'd seen violence, you know. And then I suppose they had to have a way of dealing with that. And uh, like you say, yeah, it's sort of uh, almost celebrating that sort of using a, you know, yeah. Basic, Astray. I'm just sort of making it normal part of life as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's an, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've got a, there's a parallel popular drama that, that traces that impact of the war in Peaky Blinders and certainly the first couple of series when, you know, uh, you know, the main characters come back from uh, the, the front lines and, you know, they, <laughs> they're changed by it. But that seems to be a modern application of um, the way that we think 
people would come back from the trenches yes handy with with their fists handy with their guns uh you know changed people haunted and yet what i detect and what i suspect you've discovered is that essentially the way they dealt with it was not to talk about it they just got on with you know that society closed in and said yeah. right go back to work put it behind you get on with it well actually a, a book i would recommend is so you've probably heard of all quiet in the western front yeah by, by eric, eric marie Remar- Remar- yeah he wrote a sequel to that book about what happened after the first world war when the soldier returned to germany mm. it's fascinating because it's just like that yeah. he returned to a society that was just normal and he couldn't deal with that he didn't say anything there he couldn't voice that he wasn't dealing with it but you know he he'd been through this sort of enormous trauma well in a sense the deer hunter's a bit like that as well isn't it i mean you know, talking about the vietnam war it's how people can't you know they but they're, they're forced to stay silent about yeah. about their discomfort and being haunted by by experiences and and and, and that seems to be it's one of the you know, we're getting very deep now the thing about human condition <laughs> what we do. well it's like it's like doctor who isn't it right okay so this is a, this is a flippant thing to say but what is it about <laughs> what is it about the, the doctor who experience where the daleks invade on a regular basis the planet earth <laughs> and yet everybody within that thing have forgotten that they're that they're the bad guys <laughs> you know it's it's that kind of thing we basically try to forget bad things as quickly as possible it's like giving birth i have to say just like giving birth we were talking about this now over we, dinner. Deep. we were talking about this over dinner this evening <laughs> <laughs> you do you totally forget otherwise why would you have you wouldn't have another child <laughs> or another uh, war think, yeah yeah no exactly no i think um yeah definitely the early days probably having like the first baby so the second one, you think, oh, it's fine, they'll be all right. We're not worried about the slightest. But, yeah, I remember, like, driving home with my eldest, and sort of six now, and he was a baby, and, and having to stop the car, get out. Yeah, right, still breathing, you know, come driving. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, uh, it's horrendous, you know, and you have to sort of, uh, I guess it's the same thing, you have to move past this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you do, um, you do. And you do. you do forget the pain. Of, well, I, mean, I think it's the same know, with writing. someone who's actually done it. Well, <laughs> let's get back to writing. So, you know, okay. I mean, the fact is that every author will tell you that then, you know, that they'll finish a book and they've gone through the editing, which is always hellish and all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll say never again. And of course, two weeks later, the itch comes and they've got to do it again. Yeah, so where funny, are you? Are you, are you working on a second? Uh, yeah, well, I've, I've been quite busy on that. Um so I obviously finished, you know, the mirror game quite a while ago now. Um, so I wrote another book in the meantime. I've, d- I've done two more, but neither of them are related. Um, mm-hmm. I- I've yet to sort of think about them. I-, I had two sort of more story ideas that I really wanted to get out. Yeah. Um, and so I've been working on that. And, and I sort of just recently um, had COVID. So I spent like, oh, no. um, <laughs> like 10 days in like isolation. Um but it was great, you know, because I, I got to sort of edit. I was just doing 12 hours a day you know, editing my <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, no, It's, uh, it's funny you say that because I was talking to one of our authors and she was feeling really ill. She got, you know, all the symptoms of COVID and then she did the test. It came up as negative and she said, mm. oh, well, I can't I can't justify lying in bed because I haven't got COVID. <laughs> well, <laughs> other diseases are available. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. No, it was... Um, I mean, it was like being a proper writer because I didn't have anything else 
couldn't go anywhere, you know, uh, sort of food delivered. And um, yeah, so, so um, I sort of, I missed my wife and kids, obviously. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, it, it, was, it was definitely sort of a good, um, to sort of really sort of focus. So, so yeah, so I've done, I've got two more, you know, sort of full length kind of novels done. And then I'm thinking about another one, fe- you know, featuring characters of this one. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've been quite busy, but um, but but I, I, it is that thing, you know. I'm beginning to feel more and more I sort of have to do it, you know. Um, I never felt like that before. I sort of dabbled with writing and uh, I enjoyed it. Um, and then maybe it's something about finishing a novel, you know, because because obviously, yeah, I guess maybe that's the thing of finishing it, getting it out there. Um, it's a pretty nice feeling, you know. You can mm. Sort of. Uh, it's a hard road, and and I, I don't know, you know how you, uh, you know how you sort of feel about this. But I tend to, at some point in every, you know, having done three now, there's one point where you think, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it's normally about page 120. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how this is going to end. You know, and have like like a sort of like a bit of a mild sort of panic attack, <laughs> and then. <laughs> um, and then you know, it's trying to remember just to sort of not not stop planning, you know, and just relax, and then something you know sort of comes up. <laughs> yeah, that's that. Uh, I, yeah, there, uh, there uh, is actually a graph. I've seen a graph. Can't remember who made it, but it's about any creative project. So mm-hmm. you start off with mag uh, masses of enthusiasm yeah. and lots of ideas, and you're going up and up and up and up and up, and then you get to a point where you start to doubt, and then yeah. you go right down. And you yeah. say, I can't do this. It's not working. It's all rubbish. I need to, yeah. to spin it. And then you have a moment of pause and then you go up and up and up again to the finish. Yeah. And it happens yeah. frequently. Uh, I think, but you, <laughs> I mean, it's not your only creative outlet, which we need to get onto because you're a musician as well. So, yeah. uh, and, and that's, you know, probably been a bigger feature of your life to date than, than writing. And, yeah. and yeah. so do you find there are similarities in that, in that process? Because I know you, you know, you, you as a musician can improv and all that sort of thing, um, mm. which means you, you you just get in the zone and you know where yeah. you where your mind takes you. But um, yeah. are there similarities? Yes, that, no, absolutely. I, I I attribute you know probably everything I can do with writing for whatever that's worth um, to music because um, it, it's I'm sort of not it's that thing of being able to think intuitively. That, yeah. That's probably the word, and, and it's a different thought process from the planning process, you know, we've sort of discussed. But, but like the intuitive musical process is this thing of having an idea when you're playing jazz, um, and you follow that idea, you know, sort of through through hell or high water, pretty much. Um, and your intuitive brain, I think there was a study, and it works something like you know forty thousand times faster than your, your rational brain, mm. you know. Wow. That, to change your pants and go shopping and all that sort of thing <laughs> you know it works really quickly and so i sort of when i write i can write pretty quick because i don't have to think about that um you know i can type I'm much quicker sort of typing in my handwriting um so, so yeah i really get on any time i've got you know i can get a fair bit done and then that's not to say that it's all brilliant by any manner of means. i don't have to go back in the editing bit um, but the, the actual getting the words out, it, it is exactly like music. In fact, I don't see it, uh, so it sort of sounds kind of a bit crazy, but I don't really see it as any different 
um, it, it's almost like um, a different uh, printer, you know, same same computer, different printer, you know. Yes, um, I like that. <laughs> yeah, you can you can use that, but um, <laughs> it, it really is, you know. It, it's I, I find you know when I'm sort of writing, it's just I feel exactly the same, you know. And, and the only difference with playing jazz and, and writing, the obvious difference, I suppose, is that you're on your own when you're writing, you know. Yeah you um so you've got a huge amount of freedom and you can do anything you want you know which is sort of fantastic and in music it's like you're uh, you're sharing a sort of group world that you've built you know so uh, so that, so that's the sort of difference that's the only difference i can think of um and they're both great you know because obviously when you share a group world then you're an individual it's like almost the freest thing. You're an individual, yet you're part of a group. You know, yes. and, and that's a sort of really amazing thing to feel. Um, and when you're writing, it's a sort of a godlike. You know, you can just do whatever you want and <laughs> destroy cities and. <laughs> <you know. laughs> um, and and that, that's the God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but but yeah, but no, to to uh, but that's uh, yeah, it's incredibly it's similar enough to for me not not to really be that much of a difference you know it's just um it's all music you know yeah. <laughs> all words it's all creating <laughs> something you're creating something they're just like you say different medium I, yeah. I, I i think there's i think there's another strength that being musical i i suspect gives you i uh, i mean i'm not 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 a musician um i'm sort of lapsed one i suppose mm. uh, very lapsed but i think speaking personally when i'm writing there is a certain rhythm and cadence i try to bring to the to the prose that i'm writing um yeah. in a similar way to the way you know i experience music uh yeah. although you know as i say you know it's probably the last time i performed uh, any significance was like tw 25 years ago but um you know it's 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 i don't know if that kind of feeling of rhythm and, and meter and whatever comes into your writing yeah, no, I, I think so, definitely. Um, I really, um, one of the things I really enjoy is sort of writing dialogue. Um, and when you get a really good, sort of like an argument going between characters, mm, yeah. there's that, that friction. It's not particularly when they're just agreeing with each other, it's, you know, it's all right. But um, <laughs> when they start arguing, you know, I love that. And then, then yeah, then I really feel, yeah, you really are batting this sort of thing back and forth, and it is very rhythmic. Um, and then you start getting like interruptions and they interrupt each other. And yeah, I did that, that, that's definitely like, like super rhythmic. I love that. That's one of my sort of favorite things actually. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you write with headphones on with something playing to sort of? Yeah, I, um, yeah, I do. I, I, it's funny. I've changed it. When I, um, when I wrote the mirror game, I listened to a lot of film music. Mm, yeah. Um, and um, some sort of trancey, uh, so Radiohead, I can't which album it was, but it just seemed to work really well, you know, <laughs> and I have it reasonably loud, you know, so it rocks everything else out. Um, so, yeah, so film music is great, actually. That's the sort of thing I listen to. So I listen to jazz, I, I get it's too, uh, you know, it, it, it takes my attention away. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so, you know. um, in, in the book I've just written, certain pieces of music mean something to the characters. Um, there's a bit set in Cuba, um, and there's another bit that one of the characters listens to, uh, particularly with the classical music when she's young. 
so I listened to that, you know, when I was writing those scenes to sort of, and that, that was that was good actually, sort of a, a little sort of, um, you know, getting into the zone sort of thing. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's really nice to I do yeah I like um, I mean I found that I've been had to be a bit adaptable writing is that sometimes I've only got ten minutes or whatever I might be in the car then I'm just going to do <laughs> yes read it out you know but. Uh, when I've got my choice, um, smoky tea, lapsang sushong, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was something you eat, maybe beer, sometimes beer, you know, too often. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> good coffee for me, and uh, yeah, music wise, yes, soundtracks are, are, are golden. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm very drawn to John Barry whenever, uh, you know, when I really get stuck, I'll put, put on some John Barry um, because, you know, he can convey every emotion known to man, you know, yeah. sweeping strings and horns and whatever. But um, I, what I've been listening to recently soundtrack wise is uh, I, I finally managed to dig out the Godfather two uh, um, yeah. <laughs> because the Godfather one, it's the same tune in various different settings, you know, they, yeah. Yeah. but with Godfather two that, you know, which, which was written by Coppola's dad, Carmine Coppola um uh, there's a lot more to it um yeah you know whereas Nina Rosa just stuck to the da, 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 yeah. in every context he possibly could even with wedding music was was yeah, <laughs> was yeah. Adaptation I think everybody knows that that basic tune. and the other yeah. the, the other one for me is uh the soundtrack from Get Carter uh, by Roy Budd right? uh, yeah which has oh. a jazz has a jazzy element to it um yeah yeah uh, certainly the, the theme song it's it's just brilliant because it's got little bits of dialogue so every so often you get oh, you're a big man but you're out of shape you managed to get michael kane i had to it? i had to get, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you well get See, he does a brilliant michael kane <laughs> you know, oh, well i mean they, they they've got this bit where he goes is there a mr car in the room you know at the beginning of the pub and uh when he gets to newcastle yeah <laughs> so i'll have it in a hand you know straight glass uh, so there's a lot of sort of uh yeah you're a big man but you're out of shape with me it's a full-time job now stop it so that sort of thing yeah it's brilliant it's awesome it's liking it's great <laughs> so uh i think we are rapidly coming around to the point where no no it's switched off uh rebecca's random question yes so i'll give are it the you ready? Uh, okay i'll give you the bill um, <laughs> rebecca's random question so my questions tend to come from things that happen during the week. Um, and this one is from, we've been watching, now you have to remind me the name of the programme, Great British, what? Great British Baking. No, cooking. Great British Menu. Great British Menu. We've been watching that. And that also MasterChef. And so I was thinking, what TV competitive programme would I like to enter? Um, oh. So my question for you is, which TV competitive programme? It could be a quiz show. Or it could be something like, you know, baking off or knitting off or whatever. Which would be the one you would enter? Wow. Well, I'd probably go for MasterChef um, because I do like to cook. I do like to eat, you know. Yeah. So I think that's a good uh, sort of prerequisite. Um, and I love cooking. I don't have much time for it now. But um, in years and years and years ago, um, I trained as a chef. Um, and my dad was uh -huh. a good cook. Um, so I'd like to have a pop at that, I think. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. We'll, we'll look out for you on that then, because we watch it religiously. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I'm looking forward to uh, yeah, Guy Gardner's uh, spuma, this, that, and the other, and whatever the current fancy things is they yeah. do. The trouble with you know, and we we discussed whether I should go for Master Chef because I love a cook, love to cook, mm. absolutely adore it. Um, is whether I could put up with Greg Wallace coming around asking oh. me what I'm cooking. <laughs> Well, yeah. well, I'm trying to do it because I'm I am a stressed out chef, yes. and, I, and I do not yes. like to talk. He can't I'm even focused. cope with me saying how how long till tea. Can you <laughs> off? You know. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Oh. I know. I, I must admit, I am a bit like that. Yeah, and I like to be you know pretty much completely alone, no one in the room when I'm cooking. Absolutely, messes you know, up the. You Gee. have to, because I mean, yeah, exactly. That's it. Yeah, but when you've got three children who are constantly coming in saying, "What? What's that? What are you putting in that? What? When? Yeah. When's it going to be ready?" You have to be used to people. No, I'm sorry. I'm kitchen. sorry. They just have to respect <laughs> my space. Okay, yeah. this is important. I mean, look, you know, that level of concentration doesn't. You know, I've struggled to get that at any time. But you know, yeah. should embrace it and understand that that is my space. This is my kingdom. And bugger off, you know, basically. Okay. Well, the, yeah. the show I would like to go on. <laughs> okay. If, if I was clever enough, this is, and it would be to impress my eldest child because he loves this program. He watches it every week. University right. Challenge. Oh, yeah. But I have to go back to university to be on it. So I just would love to see Paxman <laughs> going, come on, you know, when, when, when you're talking over an answer. <laughs> Um, yeah, that would be. I can never get any of the questions on that. Though. It's super hard. We watch oh, it every week. I get one normally. It is super or two hard. if I'm really lucky. <laughs> yeah. I sort of I have a, a weird repository of facts that you know I just remember the most random stuff and it sticks forever, but but nothing useful. You know, <laughs> so, so it comes so useful for writing. You know, but. But yeah, but, but not not um, some sort of facts and figures or no, I'm like. I'm with you there, brother. I, I I retain all sorts of ephemera, which is why I love I I want to be on the chase. Oh that, god, yeah, that's the one for me. Oh. Actually, um, yeah, that, yeah, that would be good. I wouldn't want the chase actually. Yeah, but how about the one you wouldn't want to be on? You'd have to be paid a million to be on because I know the answer for that for me. Naked attraction. Okay. Oh. <laughs> I. I, I just, <laughs> I put it on, and I thought I just don't believe what I'm seeing. And then going into work the next day, you know, imagine that. You've just been standing there. I know, you? everybody's That's seeing true. you in, in close-up. Yeah. 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 And people are like pretending to... It's just so humiliating, like, like riding... Oh, can you, what do you look like riding a horse? <laughs> You know, <laughs> well, I, I think you know if I'm going to enter this race of what, what I wouldn't want to be on, I think SAS who dare who dares wins, something yeah. like that, where where I'm richly humiliated, cold, and expected to do something physical. It ain't going to happen. That's naked attraction. Well, yeah, that ain't going to yeah. happen either. <laughs> well, I'd be yeah, out no, the first that, round anyway, so that wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> maybe I mean not not that I'm a celebrity, but any of those, yeah, being trapped. On, on some yeah sort of horrendous oh, the jungle. island or something yeah oh the jungle yeah. oh I could never do that no. and sort of spiders <laughs> innards and all that that'd be pretty I just bad. couldn't face at and deck I mean that would just be enough for me I mean yeah. <laughs> anyway I still don't know which is ant and which is death anyway <laughs> I, I don't know I do apparently they do both they always do stand in the same position yeah, yeah. so uh, as you look at it he Ant is always on the left. You'd think that would help me work it out, but yeah. <laughs> there we go. 
Uh, I wish the Jeremy Carl show was still on. I'd love to go on that. So uh, I would have failed a lie detector DNA test. test. And, yeah, yeah. and probably a couple of DNA tests too. So, um, Guy, where can we find you online? Um, you can find me on my website, which is www.guygardener.co.uk. Um, I'm that, that, that's my sort of principal outlet for my various rantings and ravings on blogs. Um, <laughs> a bit of music, uh, obviously my book. Um, the book's sort of available, um, you know, the usual sort of outlets, really, Amazon, Waterstones, and the Book Guild. Um, and um, yeah, so come and come and say hi. Leave me a leave me a message. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We've really enjoyed it. It's been a great, great <laughs> really conversation. Thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Lovely to chat to Guy Gardner. It thank really you. was. Yeah, and it, it was very kind of him to, to drop in again at last minute. It was it was good fun. And uh, well, I don't think there is much prospect of any of us getting on those shows. But uh, you still have, you have, do you have a preference now? Um, well, I think University Challenge is slightly ambitious, and also I don't qualify, so I don't know. Maybe tipping point. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Well, I thought you'd be down for one of those Sky Arts competitions, like Landscape Painter of the Year. Uh, or something. You know what? I would love that. I, I'd do the portrait one. I would love that, but I don't think I'm good enough. Yeah. Well, look, I'm, I'm officially throwing my hat in the ring for Master Chef now. Well, you've got the chase. Hopefully, one day. Yeah. They're going to ring you up out the blue and take you by surprise. Yeah. So I apply for that. But yeah, if I can get on MasterChef, that would be wonderful. Yeah, I'm going to warn Greg about you. What are you going to? Oh, about my swearing <laughs> when I'm in the kitchen. I'm going to have to teach myself how to how to converse and cut at the same Just time. Bite your lip. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see. I did say we should practice. I could help you practice, so you could be cutting something, and I can come in and say, "So, what made you choose that particular onion?" Because <laughs> it was there. <laughs> what do you think? You know, just an onion. I think you'd slap me. I probably would. No, I wouldn't. I don't advocate domestic violence. <laughs> but anyway, verbally, I might, I might be a bit more abusive. Anyway, uh, we are ready, almost, for London Book Fair. We've got some packing to do. We do. We do. And we're, ta- we're taking some wonderful items with us. 100 new Hobeck enamel badges, which we shall be distributing to people who might be impressed by such things. They'll probably just look at it and go, oh. <laughs> yeah. Or they will look back in 10 years' time and say, do you remember London Book Fair 2022? It's when those two people gave us a badge. <laughs> One likes to think so. I mean, these are, these are the things that sort of ease the wheels a little bit, we hope, as we try and grab interviews for our podcast next week. So we'll be uh, extra special ones, Tuesday, Wednesday, and almost certainly Thursday as well, from London Book Fair, while we bring you the atmosphere, <laughs> the vibe, and also some key interviews and views from uh, from what is going to be a spectacular event i think not least because you know we've had some time off from things like this as an industry and i think there will be possibly a more positive spirit around it rather than just the the hassle and hustle of trying to get a coffee yes but hopefully we will be able to get coffees if we don't we're going to die well i'll get very well, hangry. Well, I don't know what the equivalent for coffee and caffeine is, but I do get that. <laughs> Absolutely. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you get the Hopcast book show from. And also, don't forget to check out our website, www.hobeck.net, where all things Hobeck reside. I've been Adrian Hobart. He has, and I've been Rebecca Collins. And we'd like to thank you for joining us on the Hopcast book show. 
Have a great and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.